The financial needs of a business go beyond tax and attest services. That's why CTBK goes beyond accounting services and offers outsourced solutions through their affiliation with CFO Solutions Plus. These additional services allow clients to focus on their operational and long-term strategic goals. Trust CTBK's outsourced solutions to provide cost-effective, value-added financial services tailored to your company's needs. Call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400. Or go to ctbk.com to learn more about CTBK's outsourced solutions. Thanks for joining Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. I'm Tim Graham of The Athletic, here with my usual co-host, Jonah Bronstein of the New Bronstein Times, and reunited with my former co-host, our former co-host, Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic. Hopefully, we'll be doing this more often, the three of us. Matthew, thanks for coming back. Oh, thanks for having me back. That's uh, it's an honor to be with you guys. I, I've I've missed it. I know we had a few reunion shows, um, you know, while I was while I was gone. Technically, I'm still um, in Massachusetts uh, in the process of getting moved, but excited to be back and glad to be back on here with you guys. Welcome Where are we in F the process? Back. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jonah. I just said, welcome the F back. <laughs> That's right. We are in. We have we have a house, but we have not closed on the house. So we are in the process of doing all of that, planning out the move. Luckily, this time compared to last time when I moved in the fall, that was like right before week one. And so I was, you know, driving back and forth from Foxborough, Orchard Park to Foxborough and doing that for basically the first six weeks of the season. And then we finally got moved out here this time, you know, we have, I'm able to, I, I was in Buffalo for a little over a week for the scouting combine, the hockey scouting combine meeting with some editors, uh, and then doing some house hunting. We'll be back again a couple more times before we move probably sometime in August, but you know, can go to the draft fought actually easier to get here get to the draft from here than it is from Buffalo because uh, there's direct flights and yeah. So it'll be a slower move this time, but plenty of time before the hockey season starts. And whenever there's newsy things happening uh, hockey wise in Buffalo, I'll, I'll be there. Where are you in the process of the beat and covering the Buffalo Sabres? And for those who don't know, I guess I should set this up, although it seems to be a popular topic at the athletic, uh, the most questions I received in my most recent <laughs> satchel had to do with replacing John Vogel, who was going to do it? When's it going to happen? Uh, and before I could publish the satchel, uh, the question had been answered with the athletic making the announcement that you were moving back from the new England Patriots beat, uh, to Buffalo to cover the Sabres. Um, we are here in the hockey off season, but things are happening and you know, you got free agency and you know, the Sabres need to come up with some some contracts and spend some money to get up to the salary cap floor and uh, questions around the team of goaltender and a lot of draft picks to look at. So where are you in the process of fully transitioning to the point where you are going to be set and covering this team? 
I'm getting there. I'm pretty, uh, pretty much. This was a good time of year, I think, to jump on because there was a little bit of a, you know, there's a little bit of a gap before things pick up hot and heavy and going to the combine, meeting a bunch of people, starting to meet people around the league and getting acclimated, switching my brain from one sport to the other, um, you know, I think was, you know, it was, a, it's a good time of year to do it because the draft and free agency will all happen. We'll have, you know, developmental camp and, you know, the whole thing. So I have some, a few stories uh, that'll come out. I think one's coming out tomorrow. Um, you know, a couple things planned for next week. We have some fun stuff planned for ahead of the draft. So it was kind of a good time to brainstorm a bunch of ideas with some editors, uh, meet a lot of people in the hockey world out in Buffalo at the combine, um, you know, meet some people around the team, try to familiarize myself with the uh, NHL draft prospects. Uh, I've been texting Chris Baker quite a bit, uh, which I do normally, but uh, just more about hockey prospects now. And so all that's been good. And I feel like I, I'm, you know, I have some fun ideas that I'm excited to dig into. I found it interesting uh, when I did publish the satchel and I had mentioned in there that I didn't need to answer those questions anymore because it had been made official that uh, you were switching jobs. One of the readers, I don't remember his name, but he was uh, very dismissive of this move uh, because uh, you're clearly a Patriots fan. You're obviously a Patriots fan. We don't want him back. Of course, he was in the distinct minority. A lot of people, including myself, were like, he's not even a Patriots fan. And then he's like, well, he said it was his dream job. So at the risk of making you sound like Doug Marone, who called Syracuse his dream job before jilting the orange, uh, do you want to make any kind of public comment regarding your fandom and uh, your love for Boston and whatever subversive tactics you have planned for undercutting uh, the confidence and morale of Buffalo sports fans. Yeah, it's you and I were talking about uh, when you were out here covering Bill's Patriots, how I, I really felt like I was, you know, caught in between a, a rock and a hard place because everybody in new England was convinced that I was a Buffalo Homer. And everybody in Buffalo was convinced I was a New England homer uh, when, frankly, I was I really felt like I was neither. But um, I, I think you mentioned that I, I did not grow up a Patriots fan. I grew up a Jaguars fan, which is about as harmless a uh, thing as <laughs> right? uh, as harmless a team that you can, you know, grow up rooting for. Um, no real conflicts there. Uh well, how did that happen again? I think we've talked about this either on the radio show or on this podcast, and I know the story, but how did it, how did it come to pass that you became a Jaguars fan? Yeah, they were coming into the league around when I started watching football. And, you know, so that was, what, 98 they or 96, they came into the league and they were getting good in like 98, 99. Um, so I would have been like eight years old, you know, I was born in 92. I... I don't know because I didn't really grow up a fan of any of the Boston teams. I don't really, I, I guess I would blame my, my dad and my brother for that because my brother, who's four years older than me, when we were kids, he was a Red Wings fan. He was a Orioles fan. Um, 
and he was a 49ers fan. My dad was a Cowboys fan. And so, you know, I am starting to watch sports. They're watching sports and they've got all these random teams. And I'm like, this is just what we do. We pick random teams. You know, we, we, there's no rules. You don't have to pick the Boston teams. And so, yeah, I was like the Jaguars, you know, they're pretty, they're starting out. I'm starting out. Like they have cool uniforms. Like let's do that. That, that works. And they were good. So they were like on TV in the playoffs and caught my attention. And then I was a stubborn kid. So I just stuck with it. Um, it was diamondbacks and baseball for a while. Uh, and so, yeah, it was, it was a little strange. It was funny that a, a lot of people did think that, you know, when I, I don't know if I used the phrase dream job when I, um, I don't know if I, I, if I did, then I wasn't careful enough. Uh, cause I forgot about the Marone dream job comments, but Yes, it was a, a goal. It's a, a dream, though, to not necessarily cover the Patriots, but to work in your hometown market on a very high platform or a high level platform where your friends and family read your work and you're covering the team that they like. Yeah, that was it was a goal, a professional goal in the back of my mind. It wasn't a at all costs. I need to get to Boston. It was, you know, something that when I was growing up and when I part of the reason I wanted to do this was because of this uh, media market, you know, and even not being a fan of the teams, like hearing all the discussion all the time, you know, the way sports radio blew up, um, you know, when I was, you know, in high school uh, and they had two competing radio stations here and, you know, just reading a lot of, a lot of really, you know, I know people have certain thoughts on the Boston media and I think they pick out a radio host here or there and, lump the whole Boston media in, but there's a lot of giants of this profession that have, you know, worked in Boston and it, they've had some good material uh, over the last 20 years as well, especially print writers. Some of the icons in, in their chosen fields, we're talking, uh, Will McDonough, Peter Gammons, Bob Ryan, uh, Dan Shaughnessy, uh, Bud Collins, um, Charlie Pierce lives here. Um, he's not really right. a sports writer anymore, but yeah, I mean, there's, but he wrote for the Boston Phoenix, which was an alternative paper, which was almost like a third news, third newspaper that, yeah, it's a, that's a big, I'm going to go ahead and use the phrase. It's a big swinging dick media market. Yeah. I mean, that's it's a big a, deal to work in Boston and people love sports. And like you mentioned, it was cool to have uh, friends and family, like really glued to what I'm doing. They've always, you know, they've always followed it and made an effort to be like, Oh man, you know what the bills are up to. And they're probably more familiar with what the bills are doing than they ever would have been. Uh, but it was definitely different when, you know, I, I was doing it here and they, you know, were reading everything because they're glued to the Patriots all the time. And, you know, every little press conference they're, they're watching and, that wasn't, you know, why I made the move, but it was a cool perk. And, uh, it was, it was something that I felt like if I didn't do it, I would have kicked myself because everything fell into place so nicely for, uh, it to happen in terms of timing some life stuff, uh, as well as, you know, professionally though, I didn't want to leave the athletic. I was never going to leave the athletic to, to get to Boston. That was, you know, not my aim. Um, but, the way it all worked out, it was like, and you know, my wife agreed. It was like, if we don't do this, we're always going to wonder because we got to a point where I don't know for a while, 
probably before the athletic, I would say you're kind of wondering, you know, what's going to be the next step. Right. And it could be anywhere uh, because sometimes to move up, you got to move, but we got to a point where we were at a stage in life where it was like, well, we're going to be around family. So it's either going to be Boston or Buffalo. And if it's going to be Boston, everything really has to work. Like a lot of things have to fall in place. And they did. And then it didn't really work uh, from the, the personal side and an opportunity came up and, you know, it just makes, that's what's it. That's why I was, I thought it was funny when people are like, Oh, he's clearly a, a Boston homer. We don't want him back. I mean, you could clearly make the counter argument that what, you know, and I had some people tweeting at me like, Oh man, nine months of watching Mac Jones and you're already back, you know, like, <laughs> um, you know, so you're choosing uh, Buffalo for a second time in your life. Yeah. Choosing Buffalo. I didn't really choose it the first time. I mean, I did, but I was, it, it was my first job offer out of college and uh, I was in no position to turn anybody down. And this time, yes, I'm very much choosing it and not planning to go anywhere. Um, learn my lesson of, moving my wife out of Buffalo, um, you know, and, uh, we love it there. We're, I think our life makes more sense there for a lot of reasons. Uh, and I think it's professionally a really, you know, that was the part that I wasn't sure about and I was a little nervous about, but you take the leap, but I don't know, working with you, uh, doing the show with you guys, uh, you know, working with Vogel, working with Joe, working with all the, the people. I don't know. It's, it's a, it was a really fun place to work. And I feel very lucky that everything fell into place for me to come back so smoothly and so quickly, because I knew that that very much was not guaranteed when I left that it's not like, well, we can try this out. And if it doesn't work, I'll come back. Like, I didn't think, you know, that would be the case. And for it to work out this way uh, is really, you know, I feel very fortunate. Jonah? I did want to ask earlier, how would you compare the homerism in the Boston market to the Buffalo market? And I don't know if you notice any of this, but I've heard Bob Ryan maybe being one and others saying that it is a little bit different in Boston. There is some more expectation to root for the local teams. Maybe that's more traditional. Did you feel any of that in your time growing up or working there? I think it's very, it is, it dip, it's different. But what I, I'd say my biggest takeaway from working here is that kind of like I mentioned earlier, when people say, Oh, the, the Boston media, and I hear it all the time in Buffalo, it'll, somebody will send a link to a clip of WEI and they'll be like, Oh, the Boston media, they're at it again. When the gap between the sports hub and WEI and the ratings is substantial. Like, you know, the WEI is a distant two. And that's one radio station. And you're talking, there's a lot of people here. <laughs> there's a lot of people here that cover sports. There's four major teams and, you know, a pretty full roster of beat writers for each of those teams that are very, you know, I didn't cross paths with, you know, 80% of people who cover sports in Boston, probably more, frankly, uh, you know, and I think Homerism, it's interesting. I would say, People are, I always felt when I was in Buffalo that my initial thought wasn't, oh, I'm going to cover the Bills and there's a hockey team there so I can be a fan of that hockey team. That was never really my thought. My thought was like, I'm in this market. I'm going to be, you know, kind of a neutral observer of 
pro sports in this market, especially with the owners being the same. It just always felt that way. Nothing against the Sabres or anything like that, but I just never felt like, oh, I got to get my season tickets and, you know, root, root, root for the home team. It was uh, more so just, I was always interested. I was always watching, but uh, more so observing. And I feel like here there's probably more pride in the other teams openly you know but it doesn't seem to bleed through into the patriots coverage necessarily so people will be extra tough on the patriots and then be at the celtics game that night you know so it's you know there's probably a little bit of that and i think it's also different because like, like I said, there's so much, if you're talking about the TV stations, if you're talking about the radio, you know, it's, it's a tougher market, I would say overall, but it's also just hard to compare because the, the volume of people here and the amount of teams and how spread out it is, it's just a lot, a lot different than, than Buffalo in that regard. What's your vision for the way you're going to cover the beat? So I'm, you know, I'm, I've got some pretty big shoes to fill. Uh, John Vogel was, was halfway decent at, at this uh, for, for, <laughs> he was for right. quite a while. Um, my hope is that I can be as reliable as John was and as level-headed as John was. I, I admire how, level-headed John was for so long given what he was covering for a lot of that time and meeting a lot of people. Um, it feels a little bit like a cheat code that I can say I'm, I'm filling in for, for John Vogel. You know, I'm taking John Vogel's place because everybody loves John Vogel that I, that I meet, you know, everybody really respects the way that he went about his job. And that makes me want to, you know, be that same way. Um, and, I think anybody who uh, followed me covering the bills knows the type of stories that I want to tell. I I'd like to hopefully develop a, a rapport with Kevin Adams, like I had with Brandon Bean, where I can kind of peel back the curtain on, on what they're doing, what they're thinking, how they're doing it. Uh, and hopefully, you know, the way the athletic leadership on the hockey side talks about covering the sport you know, of course I'll be at games. Uh, I won't be at all 82 games. We won't be on the road for every single game, but I'll be at all the home games and I'll be at a decent amount of the road games, but you know, they want the, the big stories. They want the stories that are going to, you know, they view the Sabres as a team that should be, you know, something they can put on the national page, like the, the Sabres fans, you know, the, the Buffalo hockey market and the way that people consume the content on our site, you know, especially considering the team hasn't been good, you know, makes them want the Sabres to, you know, they want to put a spotlight on the Sabres. And so yeah, my hope is that I can, you know, tell some of those stories. And I think I will lean on, you know, feature reporting and enterprise types of stories early, um, you know, probably be mostly that. And, Hopefully, you know, the analysis will will come as I familiarize, refamiliarize myself with the entire league. I know the team pretty well. I just don't know the league as well as I did the NFL, you know, so sure. 
figuring all that out, you know, the, you know, the ins and outs of the salary cap and the contracts and all that, uh, as I'm, you know, figuring all that out, I'll try to tell as many, you know, interesting stories about these guys as I can. And hopefully, hopefully give people an interesting hockey story to talk about in Buffalo multiple times a week would be my goal. Having played hockey growing up, and I'm assuming you didn't play football. Maybe you did. I don't know that. I did not. that does that okay? Does that influence the way you cover a new beat in a in a different sport that you have some more familiarity with playing? I think it will make me a little bit. I mean, it makes me comfortable around the rink and around um, some of knowing where to look. I think um, not that I didn't necessarily in football it was just a matter of uh looking through a different lens probably as somebody who consumed the sport so much growing up and and figuring it out as i went in the nfl certainly the day i stepped onto st john fisher's campus in 2014 i didn't know what i was looking for uh nearly as much as i did as years went by but in the sport i feel like i have I have certain curiosities and certain interests and certain, um, you know, ways of looking at things that exist because I played and I, hopefully that'll help me get used to it early on. I don't think, you know, I didn't play at such a level that any, you know, any of these guys know who I am from, you know, the old days back in the locker room or any of the, you know, I didn't make it to college where I can call up my old college coach and, you know, get some phone numbers from them or anything like that. Uh, but I think just knowing where to look and having a certain interest in, um, in the world of hockey, because, you know, it was something that was a big part of my life for a long time. I hope that'll help. I hope I can speak the language a little bit and relate to some of these guys, um, you know, having gone through probably, you know, a fraction of what they went through to get you know, they, they broke through and made it. And I stopped when I was 18, but um, I know the world enough to hopefully speak their language a little bit. I think it's something too, where maybe the players and the coaches, they can, it's like an animal. They can smell it on you. They'll know <laughs> that you grew up in the, maybe it's the smell of the hockey rinks, but they can tell that you grew up in the culture and that might facilitate relationships and conversations. Goalie yeah. pad smell. You can also like, yeah, you can do that. You know, that's the way any of these conversations work with anybody that you meet is you just try to find some random thread and, you know, if, you know, they know I grew up playing hockey in the Boston area and they can throw a name out there or I can throw a name out there and there might be three or four degrees of separation and, you know, and yeah, you get to talking about players or, you know, random coaches or random events, uh, in hockey. I don't know. Maybe that's why, uh, some of the, the football guys didn't like me so much. They could smell it on me that I wasn't a football, uh, a football player. I didn't, I didn't go through the rigors like Tim Graham in the gauntlet drills, uh, in Ohio. And, <laughs> you know, I didn't have that kind of pedigree and they could smell it. You also didn't wrestle. I think they smelled that on you too. That's right. That's right. I covered wrestling. Um, in college, but I never, I never did wrestle. Um, and people can sense that on you, you know, Matthew, what are some upcoming stories, uh, you have planned, or maybe you don't want to tip your hand as to what you might be working on. 
I don't know. Should I tip my hand? Who do we think's listening? Do we think any? Uh... Nobody. Yeah, we know the competition listens. Yeah. Well, I had. I can tease it out by saying I had a long conversation with Brandon Bean the other day uh, for a story that is a Sabres story. So um, interesting. But I think it'll be of interest to Bill's fans too. It'll probably appear on both pages, I'm guessing. Um, I'm not sure what direction that story is going to go yet, but I know it's, it's going to go somewhere. And um, yeah, I've got that. I have, we have, so we also have a vertical wide project on, you know, the best or worst draft pick in your franchise's history. Um, and I'll, I'll leave it at that. Um, because yeah, you I don't, don't want to spo- tip that. I don't want to spoil it, but, uh, I'm excited about that story. Um, and some of the, the avenues I've gone down for that. Um, so yeah, those are a couple, we've got a lot of draft stuff that that's got to get done. Um, you know, between that, we've got a staff wide mock draft coming out pretty soon. Got thrown right into the fire there. Three first round picks. They're like, you want to participate in the, the staff mock draft? I'm like, all right, I'm going to be leaning on, uh, on Corey Promen and Scott Wheeler here because, uh, I got to do some reading on these guys, but that was fun. Uh, really good group of, of writers in the NHL group. And, I have a I have a long list of uh, of saber stories that I that I'm going to be chipping away at, and it, that's why I'm actually glad to be starting in the off season is because most hockey writers take a good chunk of time off in August because they're you know that's the the quiet time, and I feel like that'll allow me to kind of work on some of these things and and get caught up and you know feel pretty good going into the season, uh, you know and that way i got some stuff to keep me busy let's uh switch to a story that we have uh less definitive plans on coverage uh because it's not so black and white and i want to talk about uh, kim pagula's health situation and how it has been covered so far uh, how people are covering it should it be covered uh and it's a really um, it's, it's delicate, it's nuanced, there's privacy involved, there is health uh, situation, uh, condition that the Pagula family does not want to uh, put out there into public discussion for whatever reason that may be. We, you know, I, I'm not going to say we don't know. I think the three of us uh, really don't know. I've heard so many rumors, um, which is kind of the way the world works, but it also has been interesting uh, in my 22 years in Western New York, um, how sports fans in particular have the ability to fill in the blanks with the most sensationalized uh, guesses. uh, And they come to be borderline accepted as true. And I'm going back to the crazy stuff we used to hear about why the Bills uh, moved on from Ted Nolan uh, and John Muckler and what was going on with Pat LaFontaine, what happened there, and people like to throw in scandals and who was sleeping with who, and this person got caught with this person, and it, it's all it's all ridiculous, but it goes around it, it, the telephone game. It gets spread around, and I think we're starting to see some of that with, with Kim Pagula's situation, too, at least based on some of the rumors I'm, that people keep bringing to me as to what they're hearing 
Um, but, and I get, I know you want to jump in, Joan. I just want to set the whole thing up and then we can go. Um, I just wanted to respond real quick to that, but I don't know. If you call them ridiculous and that implies that none of those stories are true and maybe going back to why Bill Poling was fired and things like that, would you say that all of the rumors and speculation that the fans come up with are totally off base? Well, I don't, I don't know. Um, these things never come to pass. But what I'm saying is, is that the rumors are so fantastical and disparate. They don't even line up. And you have people who will insist that, uh, you know, I, I don't want to say it out loud, but I can't tell you the number of times I heard the story of so-and-so got caught with so-and-so in the showers at the, at the odd or at uh, HSBC Arena. And that's why they had to get rid of both of them you know, just crazy shit. And, you know, the same thing with the, the different departures um, that have happened with uh, Pagula and sports and uh, Pagula sports and entertainment over the last few years, whether it's Pat LaFontaine or, you know, different people uh, in the executive uh, capacities. Um, and I think people like to, you know, throw things against the wall for, for fun, I guess, or to, or to, to kick back. Um, at authority and hope that it sticks. And, and the, the telephone game seems to work in Western New York. It, it's just amazing to me. But also um, because in a lot of these cases, the parties, Pat LaFontaine or the ownership or Bill Polian haven't really come out and talked about what really happened. And that leads to more speculation and doesn't put out any of the fires. Like that's right. You're absolutely right. More smoke. Non-disclosure agreements and, and things like that are in play. So people are, well, people who do know won't say anything because they don't want to risk whatever payout they received for their silence. Um, there could be other, you know, uh, repercussions to breaking your silence. Uh, so, yeah, there are a lot of well-held secrets uh, in in Western New York when it comes to personnel. And I think that here we have something that's somewhat similar. And, and I want to get into it and ask you guys. So here are three journalists who work for various publications. Um, Jonah, I'm sure that if you had sourcing on this, you could, uh, you, you wouldn't have trouble finding a place to publish your work. If you knew what was going on with Kim Pagula, um, I cover, um, Buffalo sports, uh, with emphasis on the bills, obviously, uh, but I cover the Pagulas, you know, I have sourcing with the Pagulas, um, through my years of work in this market bef before they even emerged as, as names that we knew, um, through the stadium coverage, uh, Matthew Fairburn has been covering the bill, has been covering the Pagulas since they bought the, bought the bills, however long ago that was. What, what are we talking? 10 years? Yeah, Almost they 10 bought years the Savers ago. before that. So they've right. been so, around. Yeah. A so, while. but to, but I don't think any of us are chasing this story. Now, am I making calls? Absolutely. Uh, am I trying to find things out? Yes. Um, if I were to find things out, would I report them that I don't know yet? Because I don't know what I would find out. It's the, the, the saying, you don't know what you don't know. I'm trying to find out what I don't know. Um, so anyway, I just want to open it up. When you have a situation like this, a very public figure, one of the most, one of the highest profile people in Western New York on a very short list, uh, owner of public commodities, cherished, cherished community assets um, of the Bills and the Sabres. You can even throw in the factor of all the public money 
that the Pagulas are receiving to build a new stadium and probably again, to make uh, uh, repairs uh, to the arena. Um, this, this is all part of the part of the thing. Uh, this is all part of their presence and their, um, their, again, I'll use their, their high profile in Western New York, very much public figures. What do we deserve to know? Uh, what should we be chasing? Uh, what should we leave alone? Joan, I'll start with you. Well, maybe specific to myself. I don't know. If, I think it's the first question you asked. I'm not chasing the story because it's not my beat. It's not really what I do in the dynamics of how I cover the Bills and the Sabres for the AP. If I learned anything, I'd be more likely to pass that along to writers or editors at the AP or one of the other outlets. I think if it was more – if I was in a position where I had covered – these teams more day to day, or they were teams in the colleges that I do cover more day to day, I would feel a responsibility to report what I know. I think this is the most prominent family in Buffalo sports, obviously, and possibly Western New York business right now. And I think with all of those entanglements with the business community and the government and the both of these sports franchise being such community institutions that, uh, I think the public has a right to know to some extent, you know, how serious the condition is and what the, what is known about where, how it's developing and what the future holds. I think you do have to be sensitive to privacy issues, but we were talking off the air, you know, if the president of the United States, if president Biden was hospitalized, there would be tremendous want to know his condition and how it's proceeding and how well he's and it, Kim Pagula is not the president. The United, of the United States, States isn't a private business. Absolutely. It's not a private business. But I think the difference is in scale, not necessarily the dynamics that within Western New York and the Western New York sports community and sports beat, this is probably one of, you know, her and her husband are the most prominent of anybody to get sick. If Jim Kelly got sick, that would be a big story. But this is a was hospitalized and he, and he has been hospitalized. This is bigger than that. It's not as big as when Ralph Wilson may or may not have been hospitalized or when he did eventually die. And there were always a lot of rumors and false reports about whether Ralph Wilson had died or will be dying. You know, there was a lot of speculation on that. That was more newsworthy because of the potential of selling the team in the future of the franchise. But this has a lot of the same implications. And I think whatever is known to be true eventually should get out because it leads to speculation and rumors about what may or may not have happened that are unfair to Kim Pagula for people to believe and spread those ideas. But absent of knowing the facts, that's what's going to happen. Yeah. To set the, to make you make the comparison with Jim Kelly, and that was a family decision through Jill and their daughters. They were very public with what Jim Kelly was going through. And I do think that that's a family choice. Uh, they were, putting everything out there for public consumption. Um, there were even, there's some pushback on that. There were some people that thought they should have been a little more um, discretionary with, with as much information as that they were, uh, the family was putting out there about Jim Kelly. Uh, the Pagulas want to take a different approach uh, to where they don't want any information uh, being released, at least not at this moment. Um, I, I also, I, I want to, but before we get too much further in, because this is a good journalism discussion, uh, Rachel Hopmeyer of Spectrum News uh, tweeted out on, what was it, Monday? Just Monday, right? 
Um, Tuesday. Well, because it came out the first day of minicamp, which was Tuesday. Right, Tuesday. That's right, Tuesday. Um, she was uh, the rare journalist who broke new and un- information that wasn't given to anybody else from Pagula Sports and Entertainment. And Rachel had tweeted out uh, that Kim Pagula was at a hospital in Boca Raton and in ICU. There were a lot of people on social media who were very upset with her that she would uh, report such information. Um, I think that uh, there's a concern from PSE executives that it created a uh, potential security issue um, and not wanting that information out there, of course. I mean, I, I have to side with Rachel on this uh, because this is what reporters do. Uh, they, you, you make phone calls and you find out, and there are people who want to know, I think exactly, and it's not just uh, people deserve to know what they want to know. This is a very public figure, um, and there are ramifications, of course, and now I'm rambling here a little bit, but I also want to make the point, just uh, the difference with Ralph Wilson, were the consequences involved with Ralph Wilson's death, and we did not know. Uh, of course, with Ralph's age, you know that it's close, Um for years, uh, it was, you know, a matter of time and, and nearing, uh, but we didn't know that he was on his deathbed. Uh, we didn't know that he was close, um, until he died. And, and I, so I don't think people felt, um, robbed of that information or, uh, the bills fans, uh, who thought, Oh, they owed us this information to let us know that Ralph, you know, was, was uh, nearing the end because of what it means for not only memorializing him and his hall of fame career and what he's done for, for Western New York and the bills uh, in the NFL, but also for what's going to happen next, which is when everybody lost their collective minds regarding the fact that the bills might move. Um, But I don't, I don't recall any sentiment at all that, that Bills fans felt they were owed anything before the, the final announcement that Ralph Wilson had died. And in that situation, there were pretty significant ramifications for what would happen, but it's not as if people, the people that needed to know didn't know. Right. Like, and there were certain people that needed that, you know, needed to be in the loop on that. Uh, because of what it would mean for for the team and I would say that you know similarly you know that would be the case here like that's where the Jim Kelly thing is so much different because with Jim like you said they made the choice to make it very public but also yes like Jim Kelly is a massive figure in western New York uh, but it's not the same as an active owner, active president of two, you know, teams. So that's where I think the big thing with this whole story and why the information has been slow is that the need to have it 100% I mean, not that you don't need everything hundred percent, but it's not like you're like, well, I'm hearing, you know, bills could be kicking around, you know, shopping around cornerbacks at the trading deadline, you know, where, you know, 
the the threshold for what you need for that is a hell of a lot different than what you need for this. Everybody remembers when CBS Sports had Joe Paterno dead before he was dead. Now he was still a few days away. He was close, uh, but to have to take back or to to see it come across the ticker that uh, the Paterno family uh, says that Joe's still alive, refu- refuting uh, your your. Uh, uh, your major bulletin that, that Joe Paterno's died. Uh, so yeah, when you're talking about health uh, and it it's, gets close to home. And of course uh, there are a lot of people uh, who are circling around uh, Kim Pagula right now, her family, close friends, associates, uh, the top executives, and uh, they don't want this information out there. And uh, for, for whatever reason, again, we don't know what we don't know. It's dangerous to speculate. Uh, I'm not going to speculate. I haven't tweeted about it. I haven't reported anything about it other than, well, I should say I've done some reporting, but haven't shared what I know because I'm not sure if it's accurate. And I think that's especially, this isn't something that you need to be, you know, piecemeal about like, oh, uh, you know, uh, of the day to day necessarily of what's going on because yeah, a slow drip uh, because it, it serves can take nobody a while or whatever. Yeah, the, it like, serves let's nobody. Let's get an update today. Now, I'm not saying that that's separate from uh, Rachel's tweet because I think that was the way the announcement came out was pretty sudden and pretty vague. And that brought some clarity without, I think, the one piece that you could probably you know, the exact location of the hospital, perhaps, um, you know, might have, you know, if people want to argue with that, but, you know, the ICU is, is brought some specificity and clarity to the severity of the situation without revealing, I think, you know, any overly personal health, uh, you know, details. Do you guys think that, uh, it would behoove, uh, PSE, the Bills, the Sabres, uh, to release a little more information so that way there isn't speculation? Or do you think it's nobody's business? I can't say whether it would behoove them because I don't know what happened. True. I I think that very much depends uh, on exactly what we're talking about, frankly. I mean... Yeah, you're right. If it was... Yeah, I... Without and I won't even throw out scenarios because that would you know that gets ideas into people's heads and whatever and but it's very hard to say whether they're going about this the right way without knowing what they're going through without knowing the biggest piece of information that they're dealing with in trying to decide whether to make it private is it now if it's a in a general sense you know the idea that you know, you can ask for privacy in that situation by all means. And, you know, but like you said, reporters, uh, it's different when you're the owners of very important business properties in Western New York and everything that you mentioned that makes them extremely important. Uh, you know, the public money that's tied in going to be tied into the stadium and, um, all of that, comes comes with the territory and some some of your privacy ends up getting sacrificed in that regard 
people are a lot more interested in what is going on in a situation like this when it's Kim Pagula than when it's somebody else, frankly. Um, same, you know, it's not government officials, it's not the president, but it's a very important high profile public figure that the lines of privacy just frankly get blurred now, but them asking for it or them not releasing any information. I, I don't have a problem with that in general as a PR strategy. Of course, as a reporter, you're saying they should be releasing more information and they should, you know, you want as much information as you can get as a reporter, but I don't necessarily have a problem with the overall strategy of let people speculate. Don't even give them any oxygen or any little bit of, you know, idea of what's going on here. And like I said, it's hard to know how sound a strategy that is when I don't know exactly the information that they're, they're dealing with. Well, yeah, I think specific to keeping reporters from maybe digging more and more and answering some questions and putting to bed certain rumors that may be out there and, I think maybe it's more important to put a little bit of information out there about what didn't happen, if not disclosing everything that did happen. And we don't need every bit of medical data and all with all the different test shows. We don't need to know the exact diagnosis about everything. But I think updating the public on the general scope of what the illness or injury or what whatever it may be is and how it's developing and whether Kim Pagula is going to be able to function as president of the Sabres and in her various roles anytime soon. Um, if some of those questions could get answered all or in part, it would keep people from making assumptions and asking more questions and digging even further. But it, it's a delicate situation. And the people that work for PSE and the Bills and the Sabres are at the Pagula families. You know, they are operating under their wishes. So it really does come down to Terry and the family and the children as much information as they want to put out there. I don't think anybody that works for these teams can go beyond what they want uh, those people to do. I will say this just for my own personal uh, philosophy on it, Matthew, you can feel free to add your thoughts since you're now the Sabres beat writer also. And quite frankly, uh, I'm not used to it uh, yet. We probably should have had a phone call uh, this week you know, to discuss what we're going to do with this, uh, if anything. But I think we're of, uh, on the same page is I'm not chasing this. Uh, I am not in the business. I mean, in a different phase of my career, uh, when I was the, the information guy in terms of the day-to-day -day stuff, going back to when Ralph Wilson was the owner of the Bills. And I recall hearing the occasional scare and having to reach out to Bills PR. And I said, look, I'm sorry. I know this is a borderline offensive question, but I hear Ralph has died, you know, and then I'd hear back from Scott Birch told, and he would say, no, Ralph didn't die. I'm getting this call a lot, you know, don't worry about it. You, you have to do your job. Uh, you know, there's these things, but uh, upon hearing, there are some people that I can reach out to and express my sympathy uh, and say, look, I'm sorry, this is happening and try to gauge in some way, on how high of an alert I need to be on more so than tell me what's happening. I need to know what is happening. I need to kind of just like get a sense. Um, and I still really don't even have a sense. I I'm not even, it has been super ambiguous uh, 
all along. I don't even really know when this began. Uh, there are, I have bits of information from people who are plugged in, who tell me this may have happened you know, early last week, uh, or was it Thursday? Was it, we don't know. So anyways, I'm not chasing it. I don't need, I don't feel the need personally to nail this stuff down because there is a bit of a ghoulish aspect to it for me. Uh, but I also know that piecing this stuff together is real journalism and it's not to be um, overlooked or dismissed. I, I did just kind of knock it by calling it ghoulish. I just, it feels it feels like something I don't want to do. And, and it even goes back to, uh, let's say something even more innocent. Uh, when Adam Schefter broke the news that Eli Manning was retiring before Eli Manning could announce it himself. And somebody asked me on social media, probably on Twitter, Tim, what do you think of Adam Schefter doing this? And I said, it's a legitimate form of journalism. I'm just glad I don't do that journalism. Um, it's, I, I wouldn't, I don't know. I mean, I don't, do I need that scoop? Yeah, I guess. I mean, it, it would be a great scoop and give me some credibility as, a, as an insider type thing. I, I'm sure that if I were able to break news on Kim Pagula's condition or what her diagnosis is, um, it would be massive news and be widely read and disseminated and shared and aggregated and the whole thing. But um, I don't know. It's just not the type of thing I'm interested in. And I don't know if that makes me a bad journalist. I don't want to say, well, maybe being hard on myself, but I think there are degrees. You can probably say, I'm out, you know, I think Graham should be going after this. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't fault you for thinking that I, I wouldn't call you a, an a-hole because you think I should be chasing this down because I, legitimate journalists are trying to chase this down. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would agree with your general thoughts on it. I think the aspect of it for me is that if, it's not a story that you want little pieces of if, if it's the whole thing and you have some really good information, then yes, it's, you know, it's not the reason the story is not like one that is super appealing to chase after isn't because Terry asked not to, you know, um, because that's sort of, journalism in general a lot a lot of times you're chasing after stuff people don't want you to chase after right i mean good journalism but this particular case is one where you know you get to know these people and you know you're you hear news like that and you're you know like you said you're reaching out to people and saying you know expressing your sympathies because these are people that you've gotten to know, not just Kim and Terry. And here's another the- real quick point to make too. Cause I think it really, when you're trying to decipher what is accurate and what's inaccurate, and it's not to say that you're being lied to, but the people who know this information are personally attached and very close to Kim Pagula. And are they going, are they putting the best possible spin on it because they love her and they respect her and they, you know, they maybe pull back or say, everything's going to be fine when, you know, so I can't, would I even want to share, Hey, look, I'm hearing that Kim Pagula is going to be fine. Well, you know, that could, that could be trying to keep 
your chin up and looking for rainbows and, and the, the brightest possible scenario of, of, or outcome. So, and then the, the rumors you hear from, quite frankly, are people who could know because they are plugged in also, but are on the outs and might be looking, that's this more sensationalized type stuff. And they like to elaborate and say, you know, how bad it is because they might kind of, you know, uh, I don't want to say rooting for it, but they, 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 they want some chaos, you know, they want, you know, they, they're just, this is wild and look at what's happening and then what's going to happen in Western New York and what are the dominoes. So anyways, I just wanted to interject that thing that you, who, when you're hearing information from people who are close to it, both negatively or positively, you have to weigh what their motives are uh, in giving you this information. And you have to do that all the time. And it's usually sure easier to, you know, identify the stakeholders and where their interests are in a story, right? It's usually pretty easy to pick up on that. Not always. Sometimes, you know, people are, um, you know, pretty tricky um, when you're trying to do stuff. The like agent, that, but, uh, the, yeah, the uh, rising scout who's looking for a job. Uh, the motives to... are usually pretty easy to figure out. In this one, like you said, it's it's just different. It's there are people that people that are very close to Kim are understandably emotional about what's going on um as are frankly a lot of people in western new york who aren't close to kim um you know people thinking about her and and you know even people around the team you know obviously it, it was pretty heavy on them uh this week at minicamp so that clouds every piece of information and i think it just makes it a really challenging story to from just a pure journalism standpoint, and then a challenging story as a human being because of the ghoulish nature, as you put it. And frankly, I think when you are covering a beat and you're covering, you know, covering people and covering teams like this, there is absolutely an element of, you know, I'm what am I prying for and what is going to, what will be the ramifications of that on the other end? You know, you mentioned it wasn't something that you particularly wanted to go after and you, you were talking yourself into how it would be good if you had the story, but, and certainly would there be some positive. Also, there's, things? I guess a point too, for me, I don't need the story. Right. Another reporter might need that story. Yeah, or that could be something that really makes, you know. And ethically, that part shouldn't matter. That part shouldn't true. matter. But it's, right. but it's, you know, human nature, I think. But I think when you're thinking as a reporter about how badly you need that story, you also have to think about, you know, the big picture and long term and, you know, what what you have to do to obtain that information and you know what that will make important sources think of you down the road and i think in certain stories that goes completely out the window you know if you're talking about something wrongdoing or you know something where you really need to bring something to light 
then, you know, sources be damned what people think of you, who cares? But there's always that balancing act. I mean, on a different scale, when you're doing it, covering a team and you're like, well, I'm hearing, you know, that the, you know, the bills are, you know, maybe doing this or whatever. And you're kind of bartering information, right? You're saying, all right, let's see what I can I'll take this and, you know, talk to somebody else and figure out, you know, start piecing things together and be like, it's a matter of, is this story that important to my readers? Uh, Is it worth pissing people off? Is it worth, you know, all those things. Like I said, what, there are certain things where absolutely it just doesn't matter. Um, You know, the, the privacy and nobody's arguing about privacy, you know, when Russ Brandon, got fired right you know people didn't think he had a right to to privacy because when you do something wrong you know and you're in a a powerful position you know it's very much our responsibility to bring that to light and this doesn't feel like that right this is different this is you know a health situation and um you know but if it were to become if, if if it were a story like that and terry said no we really want privacy on this this business dealing that we're doing you say well that's that's great but you don't get privacy you know that's not really how it works so i think that's part of what makes this a challenging story all those things and i would be you know i ha- i wanted to mention that piece because i feel like it would be a disservice to the listeners to pretend that that's not part of it right that you know do I think about whether I'm going to make the Pagulas and those close to them angry on a day-to-day basis? Not, not really. Most of the time I I'm not really worried about that, but when it's something this personal and this sensitive, that's absolutely a consideration. There's a human piece to it because I'm not a reporter for CNN. I'm not dropping in and telling this story and leaving and going to tell the next story. I'm here for a long time and we'll be dealing with a lot of the same people and how you handle yourself and how you handle stories like this and how you, you know, treat people and deal with people matters. And is the payoff of the story that important until you have all of the pieces and until you really know what you're dealing with from what we know right now, no, um, that, doesn't outweigh that part of it for me but regardless of who reports or how it gets reported there's a very human and maybe a bit morbid curiosity whenever somebody is sick or hospitalized also when people die it's always but whether they're celebrities or not or people in your life there's always people asking what happened or is this bad is it good is it serious is it not serious there's always people asking for that kind of information, whether everybody deserves to know or not. There's people that want to know and want to ask and people that if they know, tell them. And I, I do wonder, well, what do you think? If Kim Pagula was not a public figure or not as prominent of a public figure, or if it was just somebody else, somebody in either one of our lives that was in this situation, would there be the same demand for privacy and Sometimes it seems like updating friends and family and acquaintances on how things are going is much more freely available in less leveraged situations where it's not a news story. Well, how about this? What What is the line? And I guess I don't know this. Um, 
if there is a criteria, I don't know what, but what is the criteria when somebody dies in a car crash and the police or the hospital at some point finally give out the person's name uh, and the cause of death? And I know that they, I guess the kind of the, the ambiguous um, amorphous rules around that are, well, it was a public concern because it was a public, you know, the ambulance was used in the police and we had to shut down traffic and people need to know why, you know, that type of thing. But, or if there's a shooting victim, um, who gets to decide when the police or a public agency is allowed to release that person's name and age and sometimes their address and, and where, uh, where it happened and where they were shot and how they died. Right. Well, and does that person forfeit uh, their right to privacy because they were a victim? Well, I know there's an expectation in I think journalism and the culture that usually the cause of death is listed in an obituary. Um, At least a staff written one, a newspaper obituary, not a paid obit. There's maybe some exceptions sometimes when there's suicides and drug overdoses or there, those are written in euphemisms and, things are unsaid, which you kind of know what happens. But I, I think in those cases are often, it leads to speculation and, and maybe saying what actually happened closes the book and the chapter on things better than leaving it open-ended. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if that should be the case, but it does seem like some of these things are for public consumption. More often in, than not. I think in those cases, like Tim is talking about, I mean, a a shooting is a a crime that happened. And I think having a log of how things went down is extremely important. And, you know, for the, you know, for the public to know how it was handled and who all was involved, I guess you forfeit some privacy there. Um, I don't, I mean, I also think it's probably a little bit, I don't know. It's just different. It's if, I'm trying to think of an example of a person, but frankly, there's a lot less interest in most people and their health condition than Kim Pagula's uh, in Western New York. Uh, she's probably, I don't know, top two or 3% of uh, people that people care about um, in Western New York. And so, yeah, there, but again, that it reaches that point when you have a fuller picture, um, not every you know, little, not every health issue, big or small, that everybody of importance in Western New York has had, has been made public, I'm sure. And this one, you know, likely was because they figured it would be whether they, you know, they figured they'd get ahead of it and make that that statement. But yeah, I don't know. I guess I don't know when you sacrifice your your privacy, like when when are you public enough for that? Um, but clearly Kim Pagula is public enough. Um, she's about as public as it gets. Well, what if this was the scenario? And I want to be clear that I'm not speculating that it is, but in a what if framing, if it was a coronavirus infection and whenever anybody's been hospitalized over the past two years, I think the public has had two very quick questions to if it was COVID related and is this person vaccinated or different subsets of that issue and that's there's been a news value to knowing that information you know if any prominent figure did catch COVID and did become hospitalized so is there any 
do you guys think there's any public need to know yes or no on certain aspects of that because that's been such a big public health issue i'm trying to think of who it was who died uh, within this covid pandemic and the person did not have covid and i just i always thought it was strange that to think that 10 years from now, when people go back and read the story about this person's life, that there's this sentence, it was not COVID related. You know, it's kind of like stood out as kind of, yeah, I think it became the thing that everybody wondered about, but does it have, I mean, it's, it seems, it seemed to me that when it, that the, the COVID aspect of a person's uh, status, whether they were just hospitalized or died or anything like that, was to for so somebody could say, see, I told you so on uh, one way or the other, whether it be see this person was vaccinated and it didn't matter or see this person wasn't vaccinated. Um, you know what I mean? So I, I just always thought it was kind of strange, uh, but, also, but I get it, but I understand it. But yeah, also it's to underline the breadth of that issue, how, how often somebody of prominence was catching that disease and being right. Hospital. I guess I think, I'm saying maybe now that we're out of the pandemic, it doesn't seem to resonate with me as, as much, but yeah, I think, yeah, to, to we're talking about a 53 year old woman who was uh, otherwise by all accounts in great health uh, and, you know, has something suddenly happen. Yeah. I, I guess, you know, if it were something that, uh, it, that would, would allow something about the public consciousness to, you know, to, to be with awareness of an issue. Uh, yeah, I suppose so. She is. Um, but we don't know if that's the I'm case. Pretty sure. Right. What's that? She is. I'm pretty sure she's vaccinated because I she was around the team. I think I yeah. read, but, um, or whatever that I, I think, I think that does bring up an interesting point probably about why, in addition to the fact of, you know, her being a person of prominence, her age and otherwise, you know, to, you know, anybody who, you know, sees her uh, and has spoken to her, the fact that she seemed to be in really good health. I think those are two things that send alarm bells off for people and cause, you know, the, the rumor mill that Tim was talking about, or the, the speculation that people want to have online or the interest in it is probably a lot of, it is tied into that, um, you know, as, as opposed to when there's a known issue, be it age, uh, in the case of plenty of people or be it cancer in, in Jim's case, you know, Jim Kelly, at least then you could, you don't need to know all the details, but you know, you have an idea. And when it kind of comes out of nowhere like this, it could be a million things. And that makes it hard for people to wrap their heads around. And it, piques people's curiosity and it, you know, certainly, you know, can send people scrambling in all different crazy directions if they're the type of people that choose to do so. Any final thoughts on this before we wrap it up? Any loose ends maybe to address? Uh, we're talking about people who are uh, too young uh, to be dealing with this type of thing. Let's uh, give a shout out to Adam Blake. Uh, the manager at Elmo's who is uh, in the fight of his life at the age of, I think, 51. Um, and uh, 
the family has been public in, in uh, describing his situation uh, through a caringbridge.com uh, profile in which they're providing updates on his condition and things of that nature. But uh, he is, uh, he had been uh, sick, thought he just had the flu. And next thing you know, he is being rushed to the hospital and uh, fighting for his life. So uh, these things do happen, unfortunately. I'm 51. So, um, you know, Kim Pagula is, I think, 53 or 54. I said 53 or what is she? I think she's 53. 53. Um, well, technically, she thinks she's 53. Uh, because she was adopted and they're not sure they had to guess based on her, uh, her teeth at the time that she was uh, dropped off at the orphanage. Um, so uh, she Speaking could be younger. <laughs> What's that? Well, that was part of a story I, that that was an interview. She told me that herself. Um, okay, guys, uh, thanks for this. Good discussion. Matthew, welcome back. Good to have you back on TGAF. And uh, we'll do this again soon. Anytime. Good uh, luck with your, with your travels and your move. Jonah, I'm sure we'll be crossing paths here uh, in, uh, in the North Towns fairly soon. Looking forward to it. All right. Got to, trying to get you to speak. <laughs> Thank you out there for listening to Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. CTBK is more than just a full-service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach to accounting and rise to each new challenge with collaborative problem-solving skills. CTBK goes above and beyond by lending helping hands in the Buffalo and Niagara community through volunteer work and donations and has partnered up with Victory Sports for 2020 and 2021 to keep kids in the community active. The professionals at CTBK are determined to help individuals and businesses succeed. Whether a large corporation, a small business, or somewhere in between, call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400, and see what CTBK's one-team approach can do for you.